Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning, Waynesboro FM Church. Pastor Scott here, and we're back at it again today. This time, I've got a scripture I want you to turn to. Take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 4. That's where I want you today, Mark chapter 4. While you're turning there, I do just want to go ahead and give you an update on some things. I want to share with you that I'm just incredibly grateful for uh, how I've seen people care for one another in the last several weeks in our church family uh, in light of the, the, the COVID situation. Uh, we've had several leaders in their, in their families uh, dealing with COVID in their own homes. Um, I will go ahead and tell you that I have tested positive for COVID and um, I'm actually suffering from it right now. Um, my symptoms are pretty light compared to others who've had symptoms as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm praising God for that and praying for those who have other symptoms. Um, but in light of that, my, my, my wife and my kids have also been exposed to COVID. Uh, I, I exposed them before I even knew I was positive. So um, it's been kind of a crazy time. We've been quarantining together as a family and it's been a grand old time, uh, stuck in a house 24-7. <laughs> And, uh, but all that, all jokes aside, I do just want to say, I, I've seen love made visible here at Waynesboro FM Church uh, these last several weeks with how you guys have checked in and cared for one another. Um, we've been the recipients of a lot of love, so I'm, I'm super grateful for that. Thank you for showing us your love. More importantly, the love of God. Now, uh, I, I will go ahead and say that we're still in our Advent series called Fear Not, and uh, we kicked it off last week with our first week in Advent, and this week... It's week two, and uh, to start us off, I want to give you a little bit of U.S. history. I'm not a big history buff, but there's some things that I've learned recently that are quite interesting. So in the 1920s, the U.S. economy expanded so rapidly that in between the years of 1920 and the 1929, that the U.S. economy wealth doubled, right? In just those nine years, it doubled. <laughs> That's a lot of wealth doubling in just nine years. And, and so for those of you who are familiar, like you, you know then that that's why the 1920s have been dubbed what? The Roaring Twenties, right? The Roaring Twenties. That's where jazz became wildly popular over in-home radios where people were able to have their first living room dance parties, right? It's when tickets to the latest motion pictures <laughs> were 25 cents a pop. It's when the, uh, it's the decade when uh, the um, Curse of the Bambino started in the Boston Red Sox, right? <laughs> a lot of things happened in the 20s. In August of 1929, uh, the, the stock market reached the highest peak that it had ever gotten to in U.S. history. And yet, just two months later, in October of 1929, if you know your history, you know very much that that's when the U.S. economy tanked. Right? That's when the stock market just crashed for a bunch of different reasons. But I mean, so that's what sparked actually the decade of the 30s, which you and I both now refer to as what? The Great Depression, right? The decade of the Great Depression. This is when the U.S. economy was at its lowest point, so devastatingly low. And actually, so in the 1932, we had a U.S. election, right? A presidential election. And that's uh, when Franklin D. Roosevelt came up against incumbent uh, Herbert Hoover and, and Roosevelt FDR actually won the election in place of Herbert Hoover. And, and at this point, right? When, when FDR 
was entering into his presidency. This was in the context of the U.S. Depression. It was actually when the Depression was almost at its worst, right? Guys, by this time, half of the banks in the U.S. had already failed. It already closed. And and about 20% of the U.S. population were unemployed. It was an unemployment rate of 20%. Let me put that in perspective for you a little bit. In April of 2020, that's this year, unemployment reached 14.7%. And then six months later, in October of 2020, it's already back down to 6.9% unemployment rate. Because this is, like, this is a, a decade long of, of massive unemployment rates. And, and FDR is heading into uh, his presidency in the greatest depression the world or the U.S. even had ever seen. And in his inaugural speech, the, the speech that he was giving whenever he was inaugurated into the presidency, entering into the context of the greatest depression, these are when his most famous words were penned. And you might know them yourself if you know your history. He said this, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. Now, if you know the full speech, he literally, just the sentence before this said that he, he described the American people as a people in peril. We're a people in peril, but the greatest thing we have to fear is fear itself. <laughs> We're heading towards destruction. We are in peril right now, but the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. Now, you're probably familiar with this quote, right? It it makes sense to you. It's quite popular because if you just take it out of the context of the Great Depression, if you take it out of the people in peril comment, then ultimately this kind of quote could really just motivate us to live fearlessly, right? Like we're a people who live fearlessly. In other words, what he's saying is what we should be most afraid of in life is experiencing fear. Now, if you just limit this quote, and and you were to take it out of its context, yeah, you could pretty much interpret it that way. But is that what FDR meant? Is that what Franklin D. Roosevelt meant when he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself? No, actually, that's not what he said. (laughs) That's not even the context of what he was speaking about. In fact, he says, the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. And then he specifies the kinds of fear that we ought not to be afraid of. And he says, the nameless unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes. It's quite interesting that he says it this way, right? Because because fear has the potential to make us believe and do irrational, really irrational things, like really keeping us from living. It kind of then gets this stigma, right? Any kind of fear gets this stigma to where all fear becomes fearful, right? Where we shouldn't fear anything. In our culture, we celebrate the ones who live fearlessly almost. Where, where, where we, can, we do everything that we can do to avoid living with any kind of fear, right? Because it's got this stigma, because it's unpleasant, we typically avoid fear. We do all we can to avoid fear. Now, again, let me just say, while, while we, I think we can all agree, right? We can all agree that there are fears that keep you alive, like the fear of heights. I've got that one, right? There are also fears that keep you from living. One of the things that I want to show you this morning, 
that might stand a little bit juxtaposed to what FDR was saying is that there are kinds of fears that let you truly live. That let you live life to the fullest almost, right? And as you step into those kinds of fears, you're going to find that they not only cure your misplaced fears, but they also lead you to life abundant. They kill the fears that keep you from living and they, they lead you into a, a full life. Now, I, I know it's Christmas time. I know we're eager to hear a lot of stories about Advent, a lot about Christmas, but I'm one who's okay breaking a little bit of tradition. And, and, and I, I, instead of just looking at the manger, instead of looking at Mary and Joseph running off to Egypt, I actually want to, to look at a story from Jesus's own life and ministry later on, right? So I'm sorry for breaking the tradition, but I, I think that if we're gonna talk about fear this Christmas, especially at the end of 2020, oh, what a year it's been, I think it's okay for us to, to, to go to a story about Jesus's life and ministry that speaks directly to fear. And it's in Mark chapter four. Now, let me put some, some context on this story. Uh, when we get to here, when we get to this story in, in verse 35, uh, Jesus had been preaching to a pretty large crowd of people from a boat just off the shoreline for several hours, Right? And so he's, he's teaching them through parables. He's, he's helping them understand through short stories. And then we get to verse 35. Verse 35, let's check it out. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Stop right there. So let me kind of put the story into a little bit more detail, maybe some imagery as well. So Jesus and the 12, right? His 12 disciples, they hop into what's known as like a pretty typical fishing boat, which can house about 15 people. And they get in it to, to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is where they were. Now keep in mind those who jumped in the boat, right? Keep in mind those who were in the boat on this little excursion across paradise and turned into chaos, right? Let's keep in mind who was there. Of course it was Jesus, right? They said Jesus was in this boat. And then you had Jesus' 12, his 12 disciples. Now, of those 12, remember, Peter, James, John, Andrew, and Philip, they were fishermen. They were experienced boatmen, right? This means that of the 13 people on that boat, five of them were experienced with water. They, they knew how to handle a boat in some choppy waters and to navigate them. And another one of them literally could walk across water. So kind of, we've, we've, the odds are in our favor here, right? And as they set out on this really quick voyage, Jesus just fatigued from a really long day of preaching. You guys don't know the emotional turmoil and the physical turmoil that comes up when you, when you preach, especially for hours, right? 
This is the humanity of Jesus. He, Jesus himself, after feeling this fatigue, he heads to the stern of the boat, the back of the boat, pulls out his nice little pillow, and he takes a cat nap. He zonks out, takes a quick snooze. And as they're on the boat and they're in a ways into their trek across the Sea of Galilee, out of nowhere, this massive windstorm comes at them, right? Just rages around them, which was a very common thing for the Sea of Galilee. We don't have time to go into the, 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 the physical nature of the lake itself or the sea itself, but it's crazy. It's just constantly hot wind going over cold wind. It just creates these massive windstorms that can terrorize boatmen. And so they're, they're, the, the storm rages and this boat just starts getting the beaten, right? Wave after wave crashing into the boat, wind driving them every which way. Things are just out of control. But these were, these were experienced boatmen, right? They're fishermen. They knew how to handle these sorts of storms. They'd, they'd done it before, right? They, this isn't new to them. Apparently, this wasn't like any other storm that they'd ever seen. This, this was new to them. This was likely a storm that they'd never seen before. And they knew, they believed that they were in serious danger. And they finally got to the point where the wind is so crazy, the waves are so high, the boat is so flooded, the storm is so raging, that they believed that they were going to die. They believed that they were in utter peril. They were a people in peril. They feared for their lives. And in the middle of this raging storm, in the middle of all their uncontrollable fears, they're, they're, they're paling out the boat, getting the water out, and they look back, and there's little Jesus still zonked out. I mean, that most likely shows that Jesus just didn't really have any fear of this storm. So they like go and they wake Jesus up like, hey, 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 don't you even care that we're perishing? Don't you even care that we're dying here? Guys, literally the word perishing, if, if I can go into detail on it, means we're heading for destruction. Hey, Jesus, our lives are going to end here and you're still back there uh, fast asleep like nothing's going on. <laughs> Don't you care? <laughs> don't you care, Jesus? Guys, I, I don't know about you. I, I mean, I'll say that, I think I've said this before, but can you think of anything more fearful than God not caring for you? I mean, can you think of anything more terrifying than God himself being apathetic towards you? I can't think of anything more terrorizing than that. And, and maybe, I mean, maybe just maybe, you're in circumstances now or you've experienced a time when, when you were raising your hands to the heavens and you were shouting, hey, are you, are you awake up there? Are you, are you paying attention to what's going on down here? Don't you see what's happening? God, this isn't gonna end well. Can't you see where this is going? Why, why aren't you even doing anything about this, God? Where, where are you? Hey, wake up! Guys, these disciples were just totally afraid. They were afraid they were going to die. And they wake Jesus up. 
and they ask him if, if he even cared. And then next, next we see something happen that should cause all of us to tremble. Jesus stands up in the boat and he shouts to the wind and to the waves, peace, be still. And as the sound waves from his voice echoed through the wind across the waves, the miraculous happened. Those waves and those winds recognized the voice, right? It was the same voice that had spoken them into existence millennia ago. And immediately the wind and the waves obeyed the voice. At the voice of the creator, they stopped. They silenced. The water became like glass. The wind quieted down. Everything was perfectly still. And it's in this silence, this quiet on the waters, where Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? How is it that you still don't believe? Do you not trust me? If you can remember last week, one of the main points that we talked through was this, that fear is not disbelief. It is believing the wrong things, right? Fear is not disbelief. It is believing the wrong things. In other words, fear is not the ceasing of believing. It is not the absence of faith itself. It's, it's believing something else. Fear still believes something. It's just believing the wrong things, right? It's trading belief in the right things for belief in the wrong things. And so because of this understanding of, of these kinds of fears, what we said when we struggle with fear, we should ask ourselves the question, what am I wrongly believing? What am I wrongly believing? So if that's the case, if, if these disciples are in fear, what was it that they were wrongly believing? Let's ask the question for the disciples. What was it that they were wrongly believing? Guys, I, I think the foremost thing that these disciples were wrongly believing was this, that Jesus' presence wasn't enough. Think about it. That Jesus' presence itself was not enough. They were wrongly believing that Jesus' presence on that boat was insufficient for them. That they needed something more than that. Jesus' exhortation of faith here was an exhortation meant for the few seconds earlier while they were in the storm, not after. It was when they were surrounded by the raging chaos that Jesus ultimately was questioning, hey, where's your faith then? What were you believing then? Where was your faith in the midst of the storm? I was still with you then. I didn't leave you. 
I mean, think about it. If they had believed the truths that had been written out in Old Testament long ago, that Jesus' presence on that boat was fully sufficient to see them through the storm and get them to the other side, if they had truly or rightly believed that, then they would not have feared the storm or feared for their lives. They would have known, hey, Jesus is with us. What do we have to fear? Guys, there are multiple passages in the Old Testament that shout how important God's presence is to our fears and to killing them. Look at Isaiah 41. It says, fear not. Why? Because I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Or what about just two chapters later? God says this specifically. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Guys, literally, what is the foundation of our not being afraid, of our not being in fear? It's Emmanuel. It's God with us, right? Think about it. In in Matthew 28, let's bring it up to the New, New Testament. Matthew 28, Jesus himself has died. He's risen from the dead. He's with his disciples before he goes into heaven. And he's telling his disciples to go all over the world and preach the gospel, multiply disciples. And this is the assurance that he gives them. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. As this is one of the greatest promises that is only unique to our God himself, Yahweh. No matter where we go, whether it be to the work or to the ends of the world, no matter where we are, God's presence will be with us there. So if God will be with us, then fear not. So brothers and sisters, the answer to All of our misplaced fears ultimately is this, Emmanuel, God is with us. It's Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Because this is why at Christmas time, our hearts can be refreshed and freed from every fear. And we can be confident because Jesus in a manger is God ridding us of all our fears because it's God coming to be with us, right? And so if there's, One quick takeaway that I want you to already have in your little toolbox for life, it's simply this. When fearful of the present, trust in his presence. When fearful of the current circumstances around you in life, trust in Emmanuel, trust in God's presence. So guys, no matter what storms come your way, right? No matter how intense they become, how chaotic life is for you, No matter how fearful you think you should be, you and I can truly find rest and peace in Emmanuel, in the presence of God. Fear not, for I am with you. And you know what's so amazing about this story itself? Ask yourself the question, when was it that Jesus calmed the storm? Was it, after the disciples 
had gotten all their act together? Was it after they had become not fearful? Was it after their faith was perfect? Was it after they left behind all their fears? No. No, when did Jesus calm the storm? He calmed the storm in the midst of their little faith and deepest fears. It was in the middle of the time where they had no faith, when they were believing wrongly. That's when Jesus spoke and calmed the storm. So guys, there's a group of people out there that are lying to you, that will tell you that God's not clearing up your storm right now because you have too little faith, because you don't have the right fears, because you have too many fears and you're not believing enough. And so God's not calming your storm. That is not the gospel. That is not grace. God moves and calms storms based on his grace, not on your little faith or great faith, right? God moves because of who he is. Not because of our actions, not because of our perfection or our failures. Guys, if you're thinking that God is not clearing up the storm around you, because of something within you, because you have too little faith, you're not believing enough in him, then you're not believing God's word and you're not believing a gospel of grace. You're believing a gospel of works. Guys, you can know that if you're in the storm, God is with you in this storm and his presence is sufficient for you, even if he doesn't speak to the wind and waves and calms them. So we honestly could leave this story right here. We've got a lot to talk about with our fears and how Jesus can still them, right? We can be done with this story. We got some good nuggets, good tools for our tool chest of life. We, we can know that when we're fearful of our present surroundings, we can trust in God's presence. Jesus' presence is enough for our lives. But to be honest, the story doesn't end with that. The story doesn't simply end with the storm dissipating. There's more to the story. Check out verse 41. And the disciples were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Guys, it turns out that Jesus calming the storm didn't calm their fears. In fact, it was because Jesus calmed the storm that they were filled with great fear. And this is exactly where the disciples needed to be. And Jesus knew their reaction to this, right? He's God, omniscient, fully knowing all things. He knew what they were thinking. He knew that they had these great fears now, that they were in greater fear now than they were even in the storm itself. And yet Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their little faith in these fears. Why is that? It's because ultimately faith still fears. That's not a typo. It shouldn't say faith stills our fears in the sense that it puts them to rest. No. Our faith in Christ still has a component of fear to it. Right? Guys, we were created to be fearers. Right? It's in our DNA. Right? 
I mean, not sinfully in the sense. This was the case before Genesis 3, before the fall of all of creation. Guys, we were created in right fears. We were created for right fears, to fear God. And the problem is that we so easily trade the right fear for the wrong fears. We misplace our fear and give it to things that will only lead us ultimately to destruction. But Jesus here in this text is leading his disciples back into right fears. And when they rightly place their fear in Jesus, their misplaced fears of the storm and their peril was dissolved. And so here we see that the fix for misplaced fears is right-placed fears. So when you encounter the presence and the power of our God, I promise you that you won't leave that experience fearless. You will leave that experience fearing the right things. Brothers and sisters, this is the disciples beginning to grasp Emmanuel. God is with us. They are understanding more and more that this man merely wasn't just a single man, but that this was God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. And if this is the kind of power that God's presence brings, then he is absolutely worthy of all our fear, of all our awe and honor and respect. And when we intimately experience God's presence, his promises, his power, we will trade fear for fear, right? I mean, this story is simply a story of trading fears. Now, if this all just sounds really foreign and strange to you, I don't don't blame you. I totally understand, right? In our culture, you and I have been trained that the things that make us uncomfortable or the things that are unpleasant ought to be avoided altogether, right? That's part of the American dream, Experiencing fear is almost a stigma. It's got a stigma with it and it's unpleasant. It doesn't feel comfortable for us. And so because of that, we avoid everything that might cause us to have fear. But I, I, I think Jesus himself would disagree with the single statement that you ought not to fear anything except fear itself. I think Jesus would disagree to say that living fearless is truly living. No, I, I believe that Jesus in a manger, I believe Jesus telling us in the gospel, he's ultimately telling us to fear the right things. I, I think that that's what scripture is ultimately about as well along with all of its love for us and, and call to go out into the world and love others as well and, 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 and loving God in that. Like, I, I think scripture is very clear. Hey, you need to be fearing the right things. Guys, th- there, there are fears that are just totally misplaced. You've got them trusting in the wrong things. And those kinds of fears, they paralyze, they terrorize, they create anxiety in the middle of the night. They're nameless and they're unjustified. 
Because then there are fears that are rightly placed, right? That motivate and create energy and urgency and right respect and humility and awe and even wonder, right? So a a few weeks ago, our our resident philosopher here at Waynesboro FM Church, good old Joseph Gibson, um, he shared in in a Bible study Wednesday video uh, some, some of what happened in the fall of creation. He said that in, the, in Genesis 3, when creation fell, things were put out of disorder, right? Or they were put into disorder, out of order. And one of God's plans for redemption has been to bring things back into right order, right? From chaos to right order, from disorder to right order. And, and so one of the things that I would say in, a, in, in light of that truth is that, what God is doing through the giving of his word, through the, the giving of his spirit to us in, his, in the presence of God is he's putting back into right order our fears. He's putting back into right order our fears. So guys, while I, I, desperately, I desperately want our church family here to be living life to the full, I want our church family to be rid of every paralyzing and terrorizing misplaced fear. But at the same time, even more so, I want our church family to fear all the right things. Because I think, I think if you were to look at history, some of the most terrible, ruthless human beings that have ever existed, so heartless in their existence, were that way because they feared all the wrong things. And they had no fear for the right things. I also, if you were to look back at history, I would also argue that the most godly, the most world-shaping, the most life-changing, culture-shifting people who ever lived throughout all of history were those who feared all the right things. And when I say that, I ultimately mean that they feared God. The chief right fear is the fear of God himself. That's what the wisdom literature is all about, right? Check out Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. It says the end of the matter. This is the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter, all has been heard. I've talked about everything. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Guys, Proverbs says that this kind of fear, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? When we fear God, we diligently search the scriptures, right? And we strive to live our lives in accordance to the word of God and in obedience to the will of God. When you and I are okay with fearing God, not in the terror sense, but in the awe and wonder and respect and adoration sense, when we fear God, we make war against selfishness and pride and idolatry and envy and lust. When we rightly fear God, we understand the reality of judgment and eternal separation from his presence. 
When we rightly fear God, we take seriously his command to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that God's commanded us. And as we go, we're trusting in his presence so that there's nothing else to be afraid of in the world. Because when we first started, I, I told you that there are fears that keep you alive. There are fears that keep you from living. But what I'm talking about right here are the kinds of fears that let you truly live. To live life to the fullest. And if you can't take my word for it, you better take the wisest dude in all of history's word for it. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord. In other words, rightly placed fears leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. Because one of the things that I've done in my own walk with Christ, when I go before the throne of God and I ask for daily grace, one of the things that I've done is I've asked the Lord to rearrange and rightly order the fears of my heart. I've asked him that he would help me or cause me to fear the right things. I don't ask him to get rid of every fear. I ask him to reorder them. Because if it's true that the fear of the Lord leads to life and those who have it have rest and it's satisfying. If that's true, then I want to have the right fears and I'm hoping that you would too. So I want to challenge you. Would you consider as part of your going before the throne of God to receive your daily bread, to receive your daily grace, would you join me in asking him to reorder the fears of your heart? And I promise you that when you do, when you do, better yet, you know, God promises. God promises that when you have right fears, you will find abundant, restful, satisfying life. So brothers and sisters, fear not of fear itself. Right? I want you to fear fearing the wrong thing. I want you to ask God to help you fear the right things. You know, some of you today need to trade your fears. Maybe you thought in this series I was going to be calling you to a fearless life. No, I'm calling you to the right fears. And some of you need to go before the throne of God and you need to trade fear for fear. You need to trade wrong fears that cause anxiety and depression and paranoia. And you need to let God speak into those fears and then give you the right fears that then motivate for Christian living. That's what I want most for us. The kinds of fears that would motivate us to go to our neighbor next door and tell them, Jesus loves you and your sin separates you from him. 
but God's got a solution. I want us to have the kinds of fears that motivate us to go into the mountains of India and reach the unreached. I want us to have the kinds of fears that would fear treasuring up wealth so much that it's, no, let's give to those who have so much in need. That's what I'm calling you today. Would you trade your wrong fears for the right fears? Go before the throne of God. Ask him to do it. Because I can't do it for you. You can't even do it for yourself. The power to transform our hearts is in God alone. So would you go before the throne and ask for that kind of grace? And there you will find abundant life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, even now I, I still sense that there's a hesitancy because when we talk about fearing you, there's, there's a disconnect between a God of love and fear. How can that be? And yet, God, your word is sufficient to explain to us that there's a, there's a fear for a father. God, you are our father in heaven. And you are love and Jesus, you are love incarnate. And yet at the same time, Jesus, you lived a life that feared God. You, you lived a life that did what God asked you to do. You did the will of your father. So God, Jesus, whatever right fears you had would you, you, and you have now, would you give them to us as well? So that we might be impelled by them to such a Christian living where we find abundant life. Because we're more conformed to your image. God, would you, would you do that in us, I pray. And God, for those who are tuning in today and, and the storm is just raging around them and they're wondering whether or not you're there or even if you care, I pray that you would supply them with extra measure of your presence. I pray, God, that you would remind them of how confident they can be of your presence with them there and now. God, ultimately, would you just give us the right kinds of fears? We do love you. And we thank you that you're already working that out for our good. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.